Um, so with that, let's pray, and we'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, the first 16 verses. Father, we do thank you uh, for this privilege that we have to gather here to worship you, to fellowship with one another publicly without any sort of fear. Um, we recognize the blessing that we have uh, in our culture, in our government, to still worship you without any sort of retribution. And, and so, Father, I, I, I just want to pause and recognize that we have what, what very few Christians historically have had. And so we don't take this privilege lightly. Um, we, we thank you that we can worship you through song. We can worship you through our interaction with one another. We can worship you through our giving. And now we turn our attention to the studying of your word and we worship you, Lord, with our mind and our hearts. Uh, Lord, I ask that your spirit would help us to understand <clears throat> what, what this passage means, what, what was going on historically. May your spirit uh, work in our hearts so that we could glean uh, principles that, that transfer through time. And so, Lord, we desire to be a people that um, we don't just uh, worship you theologically, but that it actually works itself out into practice. And so, Father, we pray that you would grow us theologically, grow us in our, um, our desire to actually put it into obedience and practice. So, Father, we ask that you'd have your hand upon us now. Um, we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Do not sharp, sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as father. To the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regards to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, and if she has shown hospitalities to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they, are to, they also learn to be idle 
as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've, uh, Timothy has had his charge from Paul the Apostle. He, uh, we've moved last week from uh, Paul encouraging Timothy sort of on self-care, on governance for how Timothy, as, as this elder of the church in Ephesus, is to go about living and his life and managing the church, uh, to, to now he shifts to some practical matters relationally within the church. I, I, I almost did the first two verses in isolation, but then I decided for you know, a number of reasons that you guys don't need to, but we're just we're doing them all together. <clears throat> and so I, um, he starts with this, this sort of this, this warning, and we'll see in this list that there's, um, in, in my Bible, I've highlighted a bunch of the do nots in red, and then there's a bunch of the do's in green, sort of, Simple terms, red light, green light in my mind. And so we'll see them kind of go back and forth. Don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. And, and there's sort of this, this counterbalance for how Timothy is to navigate ministry. And he starts with this do not. And he says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers. Um, and so the very first thing he, he starts with is w- w- dealing with older men uh, within the church He's not to sharply rebuke them. Now, uh, the, the key in that phrase is sharply. He's not telling Timothy not to rebuke older men. His, his very purpose, if we were to go back to chapter 1, we, we would see that Paul specifically left Timothy in Ephesus to deal with these false teachers who were likely older men who were leading the church astray, and his purpose was to go there and to confront them and to uh, sort of right the direction of the church we see in a next or in two weeks, the next time I preach, um, in verse twenty, he says, "Those who continue to in sin rebuke." Same word, in the presence of all, so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. So, so there is this charge, like, "Hey, those that are in sin, you're to rebuke them." If we were to continue into Second Timothy chapter four, verse two, we would read uh, Paul's charge to Timothy is to preach the word, be ready in season and out of seasons, reprove, the keyword rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And there I think we see the heart of it, that as he does these things, he's to remain patient, he's to remain uh, gentle. Um, Charles Swindoll says the bottom line is, uh, firm is acceptable, abrasive is forbidden. <clears throat> and so he says... Do not sharply rebuke an older man, which is a, can be a difficult thing. Well, the do not part, because there are older people who should be rebuked. Um, like I said, Timothy's there for the purpose of, of sort of setting things straight. And these guys that, that Timothy has been set in place to, to deal with 
there can be a frustration in his heart. And Paul says, as you're to do this task, when you are rebuking them, appeal to them or him as a father. And so for me this year, this is like I've been dealing with my dad. Like I've used uh, Sundays as a time to share with you all about, you know, like my life and what, you know, what I'm dealing with. So when I, when I see this phrase, don't sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, I start thinking about how have I had to sort of rebuke my father. And this, this year there's been a couple speed bumps in the road as I've, in a, like literally since last November, so about, you know, a year and a half or so ago. Uh, with my dad's in the early stages of Alzheimer's, um, has presented opportunities where I've had to be more of the dad and he's had to be more of the kid, and I've had to have some hard talks with him. Uh, last summer, there was one instance where some things, I'll spare you guys the details, some things were to be done. He, he was the initiator of some of the things. And then the the things that were to be initiated were going too slow for him. So he calls me one day and he says, hey, can, we need to get this moving along. I said, okay, Dad, you can call so-and-so and, and, and speed it up, which he did. And so the person sped things up. The next morning, the things that were sped up were all executed. <laughs> when my dad woke up, his was in a different mood than he was to the previous day, and it led to this big fiasco. Um, it led to a couple conversations with my dad kind of, really upset with me and he hung up on me a couple times and I of course pick up my phone I'm like hey dad I'm in Valley Center you know really bad cell phone coverage up here and my phone disconnected (laughs) 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 really gently and and then things continued and and so it it got to the point where I like had to go down there and have a face-to-face conversation and I remember kind of saying dad we're getting really close to a point when I'm going to have to tell you no. And today, like, expose that you're not going to be happy with me. But I'm going to have to, like, go against you. And I'm going to have to basically rebuke you. I didn't use that word, but I'm going to have to do this. And I need you to know that I, I'm, this is in love. And I'm, I'm trying to honor you. And I'm trying to fulfill your wishes. And I was just thankful my dad looked at me. He's like, you're doing a great job, son. I feel really bad for you because, like, it's terrible. <laughs> like, it's like, he's like, I can't explain. Like, I'm having these feelings. And, I, and, and, and so it kind of, like, to, to rebuke, if you're rebuking an older man as your father, there, there should be respect there. There should be an uncomfortableness there. Um, just because it's uncomfortable, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. I found that a lot of times the right thing is often the harder thing to do. And so he says, don't, sh- when you, don't sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers. Brothers, you can, hey, dude, hey, bro, like we need to change this. You can, it's acceptable for you to use different language with those that are your peers, Timothy. Like as you're leading the church, you can, res- you can have a relationship with them as peers. He goes on to say to women, to the older women, which I'm not going to really touch, the first service, a bunch of, I got heckling. I don't know if anybody threw anything at me during the first service. I'm not going to define older women. <laughs> like if they're, you know, if they're older than you, whatever that is to you as a young pastor, you, you treat them as your mother, which, which means gentleness. Um, to, to the younger women, um, 
to the younger women doesn't necessarily mean younger than you. I would say to Timothy, uh, to, the, to the women which say the range that you could potentially have a relationship with, whatever that means. He says you relate to them as sisters with all purity. And I think that this is a pretty good guideline for all men, and especially single guys who are dating. Um, I don't know how much I have to expand on this. But if you're in a dating relationship, if you're not married, if you're married and you have relationships with other women, like relationships, relationship, normal relationships. Like I've never, like there's never been a line that's been crossed with any of my sisters. Like I've never struggled with temptation with my sisters. And this is the guideline I think for men. The Bible talks about marriage and not being married. And so if you're not married, you... If you're feeling inclined that way, get married. Make it right. If you're not married, treat them like sisters in all purity. Pretty simple. I mean, living it out is the one that you need to have some guidelines. But there's a lot in these two verses that we could have spent a lot of time on, but I'm going to get to the, the thrust of this passage is dealing with widows. And so we come to verse 3, and it says, Honor, honor widows who are widows indeed. <clears throat> Bookend in verse 16 virtually or very very similarly worded there's almost an identical phrase so that it being the church may assist with those who are widows indeed and so the whole purpose of this passage is helping young Timothy uh, figure out how to handle a problem that was that was severe which which was widespread which which was almost beyond the capability of the church. And this was caring for widows. Um, and so he, I don't know, the, the, the key phrase, if you can, which is here, so uh, um, widows in need are widows indeed. If you can kind of get that in your mind. And this whole section, Paul is trying to help Timothy identify the widows who are truly in need um, so that they can help them. Uh, dealing with the subject of widows, it's it's obviously fresh. In my, it's a it's a it's a fresh thing with uh, Mara losing Pat. Literally, probably I think three weeks ago or so. Um, it it always has been a subject, as far as I've been at this church, that has been sort of near and dear to my heart. Mainly because I I recognize. Um, the, the Bible's standard for caring for those who are widows and orphans, we, we are told that these categories of people are in a special class in God's eyes, that, that, that God is a God. We, we just sing that song, Good, Good Father. And I can't think that that's not a more, that couldn't be a more appropriate song of, of, for what the issue is here. These people, in this case widows or orphans, who have been abandoned by those who shouldn't be abandoned, that they have a Father in heaven who cares for them. And, and, and that the church is the, the feet and the arms of God, or we're supposed to be. Um, when I first came to this church, this week I, I found an old directory from a month after I got here. I sort of keep it as a little memento. And, and so I went through it, and, and I counted the people in the directory, and there were 16 people in the directory. Of the 16 people, five of them were widows. And so I knew when I came here, um, a third of the church, I mean, a third of the church was widows. 
And I had never ex- like really truly experienced widows in a, in, a, in a way where I was responsible for them or to them or both of those things. And, and so from the very beginning, there, there's been this, in my mind, there are widows. And I know who they are. I pray for them. They sort of have like the fast pass, you know, like when you go to an amusement park and there's like everybody else waits in line and then there's like the line where the people can run and cut ahead to the front. Those are widows in my mind. A widow says anything, I'll drop what I'm doing and I'll do like whatever um, or find somebody that can serve them because the Bible makes it clear that, that they're a special class of citizen that, that we are to take care of. And so in today's passage, there's three categories of widows that Paul identifies um, there, there's widows with living relatives. There are widows indeed. And then there are widows who are likely to remarry. Um, so let's look at the first category, verse 4. We read in red highlighter, the, the, the warning, or the do not do, the red light. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, so if they have family, they have those that are responsible to them. Um, they, speaking to the family of these widows, these children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety, which is a very difficult word to say for me. Uh, in the Greek, it's the word godliness. And we just covered this word a few weeks ago, godliness, simply defined as taking God seriously. So they must first learn to practice godliness. They must first learn to practice taking God seriously in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents for this is acceptable in the sight of God. And so we have this idea that if you want to please God, like the, it's acceptable to God. What's acceptable to God? What's acceptable to God is that these individuals who have a widow in their family, their act of worship, their act of taking God seriously, their act of practicing godliness is to, is to care for the widow within their family. It's, it's their responsibility first and foremost. Nobody else's. I used to laugh when we first came here and there was George and Evie and, and uh, George was the pastor here in the 60s. They retired to Valley Center and and they used to say, oh, our retirement plan, we had four kids. Each kid gets us for three months in our, in our old age. And, and uh, we all laughed and thought, oh, that's really good. So we had four kids. I'm like, that's good policy, you know, kind of break it up into quarters. And, and, uh, <clears throat> but biblically, look at this. It says to make some return to their parent. And like if, if you are in the financial world, return, this is like profit. This is gain. Um, I heard one guy this week talk about, he's like, yeah, well, my wife and I got married. We had nothing. Then we start working, and we start making a little bit of money, and then we start having kids, and then the money started going out with the kids. <laughs> then I had to pay for all of their college, and then we had nothing, and then all the kids go away. Uh, and so then we start resaving again, trying to prepare for retirement, and then as, I, as we're going into retirement, then it's expected for us to like leave a legacy to them. He's like, I'm done with it. <laughs> He's like, 
let them pay me back. Like, let, let them have some return. But, but I think that this is sort of the idea that th- th- there was no social security. Then there was no IRAs. There was no 401ks. There, were, there, were, there wasn't the stock market. There wasn't, that's not how they operated. You, you had families. And, and the parents' responsibility was to, to care and nurture and provide for the children as they were growing up. I think this is one of the beauties. Oh, to be a child again would be wonderful because a child doesn't even understand the burden that the parents are sheltering on their, or harnessing on their shoulders to provide this environment where they they go to sleep, they wake up, they eat, they study, they play, they kind of repeat and, you know, do that over and over again. And then you want your independence and you go out and you're like, oh man, there's like bills, there's like, you mean you got to pay for electricity? Like, and so the thought is, is that the parents provide for you that by the time they get to their old age, it's time for you to then take them in to say, Mom and Dad, you put your head on the pillow. I'll provide that, that security for you. That, that was sort of the, the biblical model. You know, things, things have changed in how we provide for elderly in our culture. But I don't think the responsibility of caring for those in your family have adjusted. The, the principles remain the same. And the, and the question is, like, are you meeting the needs of your family as God desires of you? That's a very broad question. And, but we're told that for this is acceptable in, in, in the sight of God. That godliness, first and foremost, your faith should work itself out within the context of your home before any other. We see that in the examination of pastors, that you're to look at their family and to see how is their faith manifesting itself within the home. Because if, if, they, if it doesn't work there, it doesn't work. If it doesn't work in their home, it's not going to work in the church, which is a family. And, and I do think there's a beauty and a joy of, of especially in this last year, like being able to minister and to love on my dad in this way, there, there's a there, there's something that there's just not words to, to, to the beauty and the joy that comes with caring for somebody that is in true need, which is a widow indeed, which is the next verse that we're getting to, verse five. Remember, a widow in need is a widow indeed. Now, verse five says, "Now she who is highlighted green, green light." Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone, this, this is destitution. This, this is a, a true wid, widow in this, this context is a widow who's beyond her childbearing years. She has no relatives, no family, no zero support. Uh, in the context, this, this, there was nothing available to her. Um, from a society perspective, she was worthless. And so often widows were basically pushed to the out of the society and basically left for dead because they could no longer bear children. They could, they could no longer, uh, from the context of society, they were no longer beneficial to society. So let's just kind of push them off and not care for them and just kind of let them die. And so we, this is a, a, a destitution that, that I don't think that we can fathom in our era of, of you know, social security benefits. Um, 
Medi-Cal, which isn't even Social Security, just like our government has safety nets in place to, carry, to care for the very poorest of the poor. Um, there are all sorts of you know, nonprofits and, and things that, that provide for those in need that, that we, we, I don't think that we can, fat, maybe if you were to go to like Africa or in a, a third world country and, and to see destitution there, you might be able to get a glimpse of it you might be able to get a better picture of it because there you're going to see more widows because often the men have died from diseases or from whatever, and you, you just see um, great difficulty. And so from within this difficulty, Paul's going to address there's two women, uh, types of women, that sort of come out of this, this situation of being left as a widow. Um, one has the green light, one has the red light. So the first one we uh, has fixed her hope on God. Let me just start at verse 5. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself red light to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. And now let's address with the, the second one there. This word wanton pleasure is a word that's kind of hard to understand, hard to define. It's only used one other place in the New Testament, and that's in James 5.5. And that describes a situation of like indulgent living. Um, This word, this this wanton pleasure will throw commentators for a loop because it's not exactly clear what what, what Paul's talking about. I, I think that Timothy knew exactly because he was there and he saw what was happening. He knew the context of Ephesus and, and uh, what they were dealing with. So some have, some have suggested, oh, this is like a woman who in her, in her uh, widowhood has just sort of gone crazy and gone into the world and the flesh and is living it up and having a great ball. I, I'm in the other category, which I have a hard time seeing that. Um, if you go to the, the context of Ephesus and you know the temple of Artemis and she's the goddess of fertility and part of their worship was prostitution and all of this stuff. And so it seems like this category of person, she's gone to the, the one quote-unquote job, prostitution, that she could do to bring some sort of uh, monetary gain to herself. Um, that woman is contrasted with the other woman who in her direness, she's fixed her hope on God. And we see that she fixed her hope on on God through entreaties and prayers day and night, sort of being totally and completely in her destitute situation to continue to call out to God and to say, God, I don't have an answer for this. I don't know how I'm going to eat. I don't know where I'm going to sleep. I don't know what I can do. But I'm going to pray to you and I'm going to trust you I don't, know my, I don't know what to do. Um, th- th- this, this phrase has fixed her hope on God. We've, we've seen this before. If we go back to 4.10, remember it's a, or verse 9, let's start verse 9, is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance. Okay, what's that? What's, what, what, what was that statement? That statement was found back in verse 7 when they were told to discipline themselves for the purpose of godliness, same word that we see in this passage, piety, remember? Uh, that, that they were to, to discipline themselves for taking God seriously. 
Then he continues, so it's a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that you discipline yourself for godliness, that you take God seriously. For it is for this that we labor and strive because we have not, or because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. So it's the same phrase down here. So this woman who's been left as a widow, she's in a dire situation, and in the midst of her dire situation, what does she choose to do? She chooses, midway through verse 5, to fix her hope on God and continues entreaties and prayers night and day. All she, the, only, the only hope she has is God. There's nowhere else she can turn. She's fixed her hope on God. I, I, can't, be, I can't help but to be convicted by this woman. Like, how, how do I handle difficult times? I'm so guilty of like something gives in my life. And I go to Gunner, and I do everything that Gunner can do to try to solve the problem. And it's at the end of Gunner's rope where I go, ah, maybe I should pray. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should go to God. Maybe I should seek him. And I think that the example of this widow is that she's fixed her hope on God. When the going gets tough, she turns to him first. And I don't know. I mean, I do think there's something about the, you having nowhere else to turn that is there's a beauty in when you, there's nowhere else for you to go, to go to God, like I think God works in those moments more intimately than, than we can in our, in our wealth and, and our good times. So he says in verse 7, he's going to turn his attention back to the families of these widows. He says, prescribe and teach these things as well, so that they, this is the they is the family members of widows, that they may be above reproach. Another red light is coming. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul says when you look at the unbelievers, they, they knew that if you had a family member, somebody that you're connected to that became a widow and they're destitute, the right thing to do is to care for them. Even they know that. But how can you who know Christ how can somebody who knows Christ deny care for the, for the, the widow within their family? To, to do that is to deny the faith. And you're worse than an unbeliever. You're, again, your faith working itself out and within the context of your home, th- this is biblical faith, and biblical faith is immensely practical. Now we get to the list. Verse 9, a widow is to be put on the list. So now we see this word list. Um, I have a list of widows at our church. We have, you know, we, we, we have different widows than when we started. <clears throat> but now we have about five or six, depending on how you count. <clears throat> um, this isn't a list uh, like a clipboard with their names that if they come knock on the door and say, hey, can I get my pound of beans today? Oh, yeah, you're on the list. Don't, don't, don't think list like this. This isn't like EBT, uh, where, where you're entitled to certain you know, cheese and milk and some beans, and we're going to distribute some things to you. Without getting too far ahead, this, is a, this list is actually more of a covenant. A covenant is a, is a two-way thing. This is a covenant between the, the church and the widow to the church. 
And it seems to be sort of a, it's not a temporary list. It's, it's, it's a lifelong pledge that the widow is saying, for the rest of my life, I am in covenant in this state with this church. And the church is saying, we recognize that and we are in covenant with you. But there's more on that later. So prescribe, uh, uh, verse 9, a, a widow is to be put on the list. T- Timothy knew what he was talking about. We don't know what he's talking about because we don't have a list like this. <clears throat> but you're going to know by the end of the day. Well, sooner than that, but you know. <clears throat> Only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. So a, a one-man woman. Same phraseology for for a pastor found in Timothy 3 and deacons in Timothy 3, that they are called to be one woman man, men. And this case, she's called to be a one man woman. This, this doesn't mean that she couldn't have been married multiple times if she was married once and widowed and then married again. This is sort of one man at a time, that, that she honored marriage as God intended it to be honored. <clears throat> Has been the wife of one man having a, a reputation for good works. Uh, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the, washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. This list, this, these few verses here, 9 through 10, they expose the, the vastness of the problem. Men still die earlier than women, and in this case, they died a lot earlier than women. I've already explained to you that the situation that a woman would be in if she found herself as a widow, the the problem is more than the church could handle. It was not expected for the church to to, to care for every widow. And so Paul is trying to help Timothy, or the the word of God through his spirit, is trying to to come up with a way for the church to, to discriminate or to identify those who actually are truly in need and those who have a reputation of walking with Christ for a long period of time to make this partnership with. And so uh, he uses age. He uses their history of marriage. He uses their reputation of good works in following Christ. All of these things are, are, these women who are on this list are examples to all of us for how we should live out our faith. Except for your age, I mean, I don't know. Like, but marriage, how your faith works itself out into works. And so Timothy says, identify these women, that when you go to the church and you say, we're going we're gonna to enter into this relationship with this widow, the church is like, oh, yeah, so-and-so, she's, she's been faithful since I've known her, the way she takes in strangers, the way she ministers to others, she serves the body. It's really sad what's happened to her. Of course course we're going to care for her. Then we're going to look at younger widows. Verse 11, red light. But refuse to put young widows on the list. Um, so we're, we're entering in, or we're, we're going to see, I'm probably a little bit premature in, in talking about the, this long-term commitment, that, like I've already mentioned. This, this is a covenant. This seems harsh. 
the, the image that comes to my mind in this is, is my buddy's wife, my buddy in, in 2003, my best friend in the SEAL teams. I, I talk about him often. Um, he was killed in Afghanistan at, at SEAL team, with SEAL Team 6. And um, one of the hardest days of my life to get that call. And he was stationed in, in Virginia, and I was stationed in San Diego. And as everything started to develop, we knew because he was from here that he'd be buried at Rosecrans. And I, I couldn't get a hold of his wife. And um, it was a rough season. And I, I, and I remember at the funeral, like getting there, still not having seen her because the, the crowd, I mean, we're talking hundreds upon hundreds of people coming out to support him. Um, finally, I made eye contact with his wife and she was just like gray. And I remember like just remember going over and hugging her, like she just just melted into me and, and it was like, is Paul telling us that this young widow that would the church isn't to care for her? No. He he's saying don't put don't put this young widow that's in grief right now in a position to where she ties herself up for the whole rest of her life. Give her some time. Fifteen years. My wife's my buddy's wife is she's remarried and of course, there's always the sorrow of losing her husband, the father of her children, but she's doing good now. And, and for her to tie herself up into some lifelong commitment where she could never be married again, that would be foolish. See, look what he says. He, he goes on to say, continuing, but, don't, but, but refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of, in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation. What? Condemnation for wanting to get remarried? No, that's not what he's saying. The, the issue is because they have set aside their previous pledge. So to get on the list, you pledge. Well, I, don't, I don't know if they raise the right hand, put the other hand on the Bible, but they say, I am making a vow with this body of believers that I will serve Christ exclusively until the day I die. I will no longer enter into marriage. I will no longer. I give myself fully and completely just serving Christ. We see this once in the Bible. Um, Luke chapter 2. Jesus is a young baby. They bring him to the temple and we're introduced to this, this woman named Anna. And we're told that Anna was married for seven years. And at the end of seven years, she was widowed. We have no idea at what age she was widowed. But we're told that in that incident, instance, when she met baby Jesus, that she was 84 years old. And we're told that she served the temple night and day, that she was just there. She was giving of herself totally and fully. And so Paul says, don't, don't allow a young woman to enter into this covenant because she's going to enter this covenant. She's going to make this vow with God. In a few years, healing's going to happen, and then she's going to meet some guy. She's going to perk up. And the guy's going to say, hey, who's that over there? And they go to coffee. And it's like, then she's like, well, I made this vow. I really want to get married. And so then she breaks her vow, and, God, and Paul says, don't, don't allow her to do this. If you've lost a spouse, if you've had any sort of crisis, you shouldn't be making life decisions within like two to five years. Like, let yourself heal. And that's what Paul's guarding against. Don't, don't, Timothy, don't let a young girl do this. Verse 13. At the same time, they also learn to be idle. They go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies uh, talking about things not proper to mention. So we were never created to be idle. 
And Paul says, if you let a younger woman enter this list, she's going to have too much energy. She's going to be idle. She's going to be... Uh, she can begin to start gossiping and speaking of things that, that, are, that, are, that, that shouldn't be mentioned. And we'll see at the end of this, this is already happening. This isn't, like a, this isn't in theory for Paul. This, this, this is within the church at Ephesus. This was already happening to young widows. They made a vow. Now they're going about, they're gossiping, they're talking about things, they're following Satan according to the end of this little section that we're in. He says, don't let him join the list. Verse 14, green light. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. So let me address the barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen phrase. So I'm like, I'm going to like... <clears throat> Let's just kind of get past that. Let's remember the context. What's the context? If we go back to Timothy 4.3, what was the situation? <clears throat> Men will forbear, forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created. So we know that in context that Timothy's dealing with, there are teachers that were practicing the early stages of what we call Gnosticism, um, that anything in the flesh was, was of the devil. It was evil. And so this teaching was so uh, common that you get a young woman whose husband dies, who's in the church, and it's like, oh, I'm free from the sinful nature of marriage. So now I can commit myself to just uh, to go to the convent and live my rest of my life for God even though, man, I have this desire within me to get married. But I'm told that these desires of the flesh are evil. And so I'm not, I'm not going to participate. And, and Paul's telling Timothy, no, I want them to get married. God has created marriage. God has created this union between man and woman where children are the, are the natural byproduct of it. It's to be enjoyed and, 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 and cel- like, I don't know if celebrate is the right word, but but to be enjoyed, it's, it's, it's how God has created us. So tell these young women that I want them to get married. Confront these guys that are saying that marriage is bad. So in our minds, when we read this, these are young women who desire to get married, desire to have children, desire to, to, to be a homemaker. This is the irony of the whole women's lib movement. Like if I can, the whole, I'm not a woman, just to be clear. <laughs> There's, I, um, but the whole idea of the women's lib, lib movement was to basically free women to do great things that they could do whatever they wanted or not choose to do. And it's kind of gone so far now that if a woman chooses that she wants to stay home and have children and be a homemaker, she's looked down upon by the women's lib movement. And so the, the irony here, I think it's really, like there's some similarities. And, and so Paul's saying, let these young women get married. Let them have a family this is good. This is what God created. This isn't, well, I can move on. But it's already happening. This was a problem that was already happening because some women have already decided to fall away and follow after Satan, and they were basically not honoring God with these things. And then we come to the last verse here. If any woman who is a believer has dependent windows, she, green light, must assist them, and the church must, red light, not be burdened. Okay, so... For those of you that care, this is interesting. 
if any woman, woman. He's been talking about men. Like up to this point, there's been a lot of men, families, and then suddenly it talks about women. That's, that's what it says. And there's a lot of like just pondering, like why did he shift to women? I, it could be that there's a wealthy woman, like women like Lydia, who were able to provide that we see in Acts. It could be a woman who was widowed and remarried and now has um, resources. Um, it could just be a woman. With, but what I think that, that Paul is doing is he's casting a really wide net. If you're a follower of Christ and you're a believer and you're connected to a widow, you have an obligation to care for them so that the church must not be burdened. Now, it doesn't stop there because the church can't cover all of the problems. Like, the church can't. But, but, but so these, the, if these families honor Christ and their families and they care for those that they can care for, it will free up things so that the church can kind of get to the, no, this, this individual, they're destitute without any There's nothing for them. We, we, we need to do something for them so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Um, I want to read a quote from Kent Hughes. It's, um, he takes this passage and he sort of contextualizes it to, to, to our situation. Today, despite the cultural nets of social security, retirement benefits, and interest on investments, Christian children are, are to care for their parents. If... Financial provision is unneeded. There is still a Christian obligation for hands-on loving care. Nurses may be employed, but there must be more. The care cannot be done by proxy. Emotional neglect and abandonment is not an option. For such conduct is worse than an unbeliever. I'll pause here for a second. In retirement homes all around us, there's all sorts of, they, they might have the finances to be in there or they're being cared for by the state, but I do think that there's a, a, a biblical mandate for the church being involved in these homes and caring for these that don't have anybody. Um, my dad is in a really nice, my dad is in a really nice place, but um, my birthday was one of the last times that we moved him from room to room and it was surprising me because now I'm getting to know all the people in there. It's like, hey, there's Dick's kids and family and, and the, the mayhem that follows with our our, our little boys run around, but they love them. They're like, no, 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 we don't see energy like this. This is wonderful. Um, but I was kind of surprised at how many of those people sort of, when we were moving, my dad said, you know, we never had kids. And so to see a family like moving, when we have to move, we don't even know how to do it. And we get, it's so easy for us to be taken advantage of. And, and when we go to dinner there, there's this table of like five widows, I'm assuming, they, they meet and have dinner every time, every night, and we go there once a week, and little Ellie, they're her ladies, and she'll go up, and she'll just kind of like, hey, girls, your hair looks really nice. I love that it's blue. Like, and it's like, like just, and they just engage with little Ellie, but I, but I think that there's, there's, like, we might not have widespread widows and destitution, but there are elderly who maybe are cared for but not emotionally. And I think that there's a, if, if you have a heart for that sort of thing, like, get involved. Like, serve in that way. Serve the widows at our church. He, he continues, and he says, Today I believe 
the application of this passage should be wider because modern American culture has produced a category of women virtually unknown in the first century. Christian women and children who have been abandoned by their spouses and left without family support. Godly single mothers are a new class of widow. And those without family and resources are the church's sacred responsibility. And those believers who are involved in fleshing out our obligation are doing the work of God, true religion. Just want to end with three quick points. When I look at this passage as a whole, remember we started with how you interact with older people and younger people, both men and women. From that section, I think that there's a a lesson on uh, that we're to have respect for those that are older than us. Uh, We're to have purity with those that are younger than us. I see compassion. You know, somehow the, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, uh, treat others the way you want to be treated, it has become known as the golden rule. I, I think that this, this idea of compassion should be within the body of Christ. That when we look out at those amongst us, whether they're handicapped, whether they're widows, whether they're whatever the situation, we should have this. If I was in that situation, how would I want to be treated? And that we would move from compassion to also that we have some responsibility. Um, for it was John the Apostle, the Apostle of Love, who said in 1 John 3.17, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? And so, so what I see in this is that we have a good, good father, right? He has called us into his family. He wants us to see people through his eyes. And, and he want, he's blessed us and he's given us resources. And so he wants us to... to to look for opportunities that he puts before us and to be willing to step out. And I don't know what that looks like in all of our cases, but, but for us as a body, that we need to be caring for one another. We need to be caring for the widows. We, we need to be available to help. And I, and I am so grateful um, that, that we have that. You know, I see Bobby over there out of the corner of my eye. And... Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes it's like her water line needs some replacing, and we go over there and we fix her water line. Head of the line privileges. And so I'm just grateful that we do have a church that really does care for our widows and orphans. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you just through your word that you show us your character, your nature, that you are a good, good father. We thank you, Lord, for your compassion. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for how you meet our every need. Lord, we ask that you would give us your eyes, that as we look around at people that we interact with on a day-to-day basis, that you would help us not to judge them through our flesh, but that we would see them through your eyes, through your sacrifice. And Lord, help us not just to see it, but that we would respond. We need wisdom in caring for people. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us as we administer care to others. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.